And good morning, church family. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs. To the book of Proverbs. Or if you prefer, you could just take out the insert from the bulletin. And on the front side of the insert, you will find my sermon outline. And then on the back side, you will find all the passages from Proverbs that I'm going to cite. And I have placed those passages in the order in which I will cite them to try to make it as easy as possible to follow along. Now, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll begin our study. So let's pray. Our Lord, we do thank you so much for the privilege of gathering together this morning. Lord, it is good to be with one another. It is good to see one another's smiles and to receive one another's handshakes and embraces. Lord, it is good to gather around your word. Lord, help us as we continue our series through the book of Proverbs, considering all of the very practical topics that it addresses. Help us to to be receptive to the wisdom contained in this book. Help us to see it as wisdom from you. And Lord, help us to grow in our spiritual maturity as a result of, of being exposed to the wisdom of this book. Lord, I pray all of these things in your Son's name. Amen. So 10 years ago, the American Psychological Association published a really interesting article, and it was entitled, Reflecting on Narcissism, subtitled, Are Young People More Self-Obsessed Than Ever Before? And I want to read a part of the article to you. Here's how it begins. Imagine a country where everyone acts like a reality show contestant, obsessed with power, status, and appearance, and is comfortable manipulating others for personal gain. I'm here to win, not to make friends, would be the national motto. Imagine a country where everyone, or excuse me, this society would have high crime rates, white collar and violent crimes, as people take whatever they feel entitled to. Cosmetic surgery would be routine, materialism rampant, and everyone would seek fame or notoriety. It would also be a place with high rates of anxiety and depression, And it would also be a deeply lonely place. Then the article goes on. It says, according to some researchers, this is precisely where America is heading. Self-esteem is on the rise, with 80% of middle school students scoring higher in self-esteem than they did 20 years prior. And among college students, subclinical levels of narcissism have steadily risen since the 1970s. Further, it says young people are much more likely than older adults to have ever experienced narcissistic personality disorder, according to a large-scale study published by the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. Then the article goes on. You can look at individual scores of narcissism. You can look at data on lifetime prevalence of narcissistic personality disorder. You can look at related cultural trends, and they all point to one thing. Narcissism is on the rise. Now, as you would expect, this article does not offer any moral assessment of the phenomenon. Hey, this is a clinical study, not a moral study. In fact, this is why we need our Bibles. See, the clinical studies tell us what is going on, and the Bible gives us the tools we need to morally assess what is going on. The book of Proverbs is particularly helpful in assessing the trends mentioned in this APA article. One thing it does for us is to cut through all of that clinical jargon 
and give us clear vocabulary. And the word that Proverbs uses to describe the behaviors described in the article is this. It is pride. It is pride. And how should we assess pride? Well, the Bible tells us that there are actually some virtuous forms of pride. For example, we sometimes speak of taking pride in our work. There's nothing inherently sinful about that. God himself takes pride in his work. Just think back to the creation week. As as God successively builds uh, his creation day by day, he comes to the end of each day and declares it is very good. And then at the end of the creation week, he looks at the whole of what he has done, and he declares it very good. God was taking pride in his work. He was, he was deriving pleasure from the creation that, that he saw, the creation he had made. And so there's nothing wrong with any of us, for example, spending an afternoon doing yard work, and then when we're all finished, taking a step back, looking at the beautifully manuc- manicured lawn, and saying, that looks great taking pleasure in what we've done. You know, sometimes we also speak of having pride in our loved ones. And this is virtuous too. Psalm 149 verse 4 says, The Lord takes pleasure in His people. So it's okay for us to take pride in the accomplishments of our loved ones. So, for example, a week or two ago, my five-year-old son had a big school production. It was the first school production he's ever been a part of. And he spent months learning those songs and then learning all the hand gestures that go with the songs. Then the day of the performance finally came, and he stood in front of four, five hundred people, and he sang his songs, and he, he remembered all of the hand movements, and it was amazing. And I was proud of my son. It's good for us to be proud of our loved ones, to take pleasure in their accomplishments. But then there is another kind of pride, and you guys understand this. There is the pride that involves being puffed up with great thoughts of ourselves and then working so that others will develop great thoughts about us too. This is a selfish pride. See, in the other types of pride, we are taking pleasure in things outside of ourselves. In this third kind of pride, we are taking pleasure in self and seeking to exalt self above others, wanting them to have an exalted view of us as well. The old Dutch minister, Wilhelmus Abrakel, Um, describes all of the ways this type of pride can be manifested in our lives. See if you can see yourself in some of these descriptions. I know I see myself here. He describes pride, this kind of pride, as entertaining great thoughts about ourselves due to our ancestry or wealth or the offices we hold or because of our beauty, strength, artistic talent, or gifts, evaluating ourselves above our neighbor's, Loving to be greeted by others in a reverent manner. Loving to be praised and elevated above others. Being envious when another person is elevated or honored above us. Dealing haughtily with our inferiors and puffing ourselves up in the presence of others. Speaking about ourselves and our accomplishments so that others may know what manner of man or woman we are. Boasting or decorating our houses as palaces and then gloating about it. 
having the objective that others would esteem us as great, rich, or prominent. Making ourselves up as decorated dolls and then going out in public with great splendor. Avoiding the company of those who are of lesser status, but joining with those of higher social status. See, these are the manifestations of selfish pride. And that kind of pride infects every one of us. It's a desire that, that others would make much of us, that we would have the affirmation of other people. According to the Bible, this third kind of pride is sin. It is sin. In fact, according to the Bible, it is the original sin. Listen to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. In fact, just to set the context for this passage, this is Isaiah's prophecy against the king of Babylon. But as he is talking to to the king of Babylon, it's clear that he is soon moving beyond this human king to the being that was empowering the king, the devil himself. And in this prophecy, he begins describing how the devil himself fell into his fallen state. In other words, how the devil became the devil. This is what he writes. How you are fallen from heaven... O day star, son of the dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Now, here's here's the explanation. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will make myself like the Most High. So how did the devil become the devil? Here is how. Though he was created in in holiness, yet in some inexplicable, for some inexplicable reason, there was a a change in his heart such that he was no longer content to be beneath God. He didn't want God to have all of the worship. He said, It is my turn to be on that throne. And so he said, I will exalt myself above all of the angelic hosts. I will take the place of God. I will be the center of everyone's lives. This was the devil's fall. It was pride. It was also pride that caused Adam and Eve's fall. Listen to Genesis chapter 3. We have the temptation of the devil here, trying to encourage them to eat that forbidden fruit. And listen to how he makes his appeal. The devil said to them, God knows that when you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Then it tells us what happened next. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. She gave some also to her husband who was with her and he ate. So you see, it was an appeal to pride. 
The devil said to them, you know what? God did tell you not to eat that fruit, but he didn't tell you why. It's because if you eat from that forbidden fruit, you will be like him. You will become godlike as well. You will transcend the confines of your humanity to be raised up to the level of divinity. That's what will happen. And that was appealing to them. And so Adam and Eve both said, we will eat this fruit. We want to be exalted like God. See, pride is the original sin. And here's what makes it a sin. It's a violation of the first and greatest commandment. Remember, Jesus taught us the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. But in pride, we choose to love ourselves the most instead. We try to set God aside to exalt ourselves rather than God, to spend our lives trying to make much of us instead of trying to make much of God. So we violate the very first commandment. Pride is also a violation of the second greatest commandment, which Jesus said was, love your neighbor. To love our neighbor means that we are directing them to God and all that God would be for them. But instead of doing that, the proud person tries to redirect the the affection that should go to God and move it toward themselves instead. Look at me. Love me. Worship me. It's a failure to love God and to love our neighbors. You know, the book of Proverbs tells us that if we give ourselves over to sinful pride, the consequences will be far worse than just some of those social problems mentioned in the APA article. If we give ourselves over to pride, we actually place ourselves in grave spiritual danger. And that's because, according to the book of Proverbs, God has a holy contempt for sinful pride. Just listen to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. It says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Now, let me just pause there for a moment. What does it mean to say that there are seven things God hates? What it means is that there are seven things that God has an everlasting, unchanging aversion to. These are the things that God has set his eternal nature against. And what is the very first thing on the list of the seven that God hates? The first one is haughty eyes. That's the sin of pride. Very first thing he despises is pride. Then another verse, Proverbs 16, verse 5, it says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Now, what a terrifying verse that is to to hear that, that those who have succumbed to sinful pride set themselves against the very God of heaven. And indeed, God has committed himself to the downfall of the proud Proverbs 11, verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. This is a real irony because the person given to sinful pride has basically dedicated their whole life to trying to exalt themselves. They are seeking honor. 
But this proverb says that the person who lives by pride will actually be shamed. It'll lead to their downfall. They'll, they'll achieve the exact opposite of what they desire. Now, now why is that? Why, why would the person who, who, who spends all their time trying to honor themselves above others suddenly find themselves disgraced? Well, for one thing, because nobody likes to be around a proud person. You guys know what I mean. You guys ever been around? <laughs> he knows what I mean. <laughs> Hope he's not talking about me. <laughs> you know the kind of person who is always talking about themselves? You know, they're always the hero of their own stories. And every chance they get, they want you to know about their latest accomplishments. It's maddening to be around those kinds of people. And, and, and maybe they think that they're being subtle about it and that we'll really be impressed by all the stuff they're giving us. But we see right through it, don't we? And it drives us crazy to be around people like that. And so we may put up with it to their face, but then when you're away from them, you're like, like, oh, this guy, this girl, what is up with that person? And they're trying to become honored in your sight, and instead they're becoming an object of scorn. You see, they don't achieve their goal. But you know, even worse, on the day of judgment, when we all stand before God, the proud will be shamed by Him. God will, will look at that person and say, depart from me. I never knew you. You can't be one of my children. Look how you spent your life. You see, there is shame for those who give their lives over to sinful pride. You know, the same thought is repeated in Proverbs 16, 18, and in 18, verse 12, it says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And Proverbs 29, 23 says, One's pride makes him low. So pride is the original sin. It's one of the seven things that God hates. And it is a completely self-defeating way to live. You're not even going to accomplish the goal that you set out for yourself when you live by pride. You want to make yourself high. Instead, you're going to guarantee your own fall. Which is why Proverbs 28, 26 says that pride is the way of fools. You would have to be a fool to think that that puffing yourself up before others would be a pathway to true honor. Only a fool would think that. And yet every one of us still struggles with it, don't we? There's not a person here who doesn't wrestle with an inflated ego at times. There, there isn't a person among us who doesn't desire the applause of our fellow man. We, we do all that we can sometimes to secure the affirmations of the people around us, even complete strangers. We just want to know that, that there are people who adore us, people who, who have us on a pedestal. We all struggle with those thoughts and desires and We all struggle with actions designed to secure others' applause. It's part of our sinful nature. It's why we need God's grace. Friends, we must also be actively fleeing from it at all costs. We must wage war against this sinful desire within us. 
We see from the book of Proverbs that sinful pride puts us on a direct collision course with the God of heaven. He is strong enough and He is determined enough to put down the proud. We should see that this path is the path of the fool and it will be our downfall. We should instead work against those inclinations. But what is the alternative to pride? If we're not going to live that way, how are we going to live? Well, you know the answer to that. The opposite of pride is humility. It's humility. Humility is living with an accurate view of yourself. Seeing yourself the way God sees you. Not thinking too highly of yourself, but not thinking too lowly of yourself either. It's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of others more. Humility is living for the exaltation of God and living for the uplift of others and thinking less about yourself. In another one of those wonderful paradoxes that God has built into our world, He promises that the humble will be exalted. Isn't this remarkable? You spend your life exalting yourself, in the end, you will be brought low. But if you spend your life trying to lift up others and you no longer think about yourself, then God will lift you up in the end. This is the way that God has chosen to order His universe. The last will be made first, and the first will be made last. And so we must strive to become a humble people. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says, Humility brings wisdom. And here's why. It's because only the humble person is able to bring themselves under the teachings of God's Word. To say, look, I don't have all the answers. I need to find the answers. And it's to say, I need to look to someone greater than me. So the humble person comes to God's Word and they, 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 they pour over His Word trying to learn God's ways and they, they pray to God asking for His wisdom. Proverbs 22, 4 says, The reward of that humble wisdom is riches and honor and life. You choose to be humble instead of being proud, and God will take care of you, and God will honor you, and God will welcome you into His kingdom. That's the reward for the humble. And so, friends, we need to make this one of our lifelong efforts to root out from our lives the last vestiges of sinful pride and to put on in its place the virtue of humility. And how do we do this? Well, let me suggest seven, make that 11 action steps. 11 action steps. To replace pride with humility. Number one, consider the cross of Christ. Listen to what the 20th century thinker John Stott has to say about this. He writes, quote, Every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to be saying to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin that I am bearing, your curse that I am suffering, your debt that I am paying, your death that I am dying. 
And Stott says, nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness. That means thinking our, our moral character is higher than it really is. He says, until we have visited a place called Calvary, it is here at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. So do you want to overcome pride and become humble? Start at the cross and just contemplate for a moment why was the cross of Christ necessary? Like, why did he have to do that? The answer is he had to do that because we are fallen creatures. We are under a, a curse of, of sin and death, separated from the life of God. And we couldn't remedy the situation on our own. We needed God himself to fix this problem. And so that's what the cross was all about. God coming to earth in the person of his son, showing us a life of perfect righteousness, and then making atonement for our sins by bearing God's righteous judgments towards sin on that cross, enduring hell for our sakes at Calvary. When we come to see the cross and, and what it means, how can we continue to be proud in fact, my friends, I would argue that the worst expression of pride would be looking at the cross and then choosing to believe you don't need it. What could be a greater show of pride than that to say, you know, the Christ and all that God has done for me through Christ, that's all really interesting stuff. And, and the cross, you know, it, it, it looks really awful, but, you know, I don't see my need for it. And then to just go on with your life. What could be a worse expression of pride than that? Look, humility begins when you look at Christ and what he did for you there at Calvary, and you say, you know what? He did that because I needed him to do that. It's the only way I was ever going to be reconciled with God, and I need him. That's where humility begins. And that's number one. Number two, after we've looked at the cross of Christ, let's look to the life of Christ as our example to follow. Earlier in the service, Karen read Philippians chapter 2. The, the chapter says, Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ, that though he was equal with God, he did not count that something to be held onto. Instead, he chose to empty himself by Removing the outward show of his glory, putting on human flesh, dwelling in a sin-cursed world, and then humbling himself still further by submitting to a death on a cross, the most shameful of all deaths. And why did he do it? So that we could experience uplift. So that we could be reconciled to God. That's why Christ did it. Think about the life of Christ. Son of God, he deserved to be born in a palace, but he was born in a manger. Deserved to be adored by the masses, but instead he was rejected and persecuted and scorned. Deserved to have all of the resources of the world, but instead slept outdoors because he didn't have a place to call his own. Look how Christ humbled himself for the sake of all of us and realize that that is what God calls us to do as well. Philippians 2 says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ. In other words, look at what Christ did for you. Now you do that for other people. 
You don't exalt yourself. You don't insist on your titles. You don't flaunt whatever resources you possess. Instead, you willingly conceal it and you lift others up. That's the job of the Christian. Then number three, something else we can do to cultivate humility, we can memorize Bible verses about pride and humility. You know, a good place to start would be that bulletin insert where we have a listing of verses about pride and its dangers, and then about humility and how God will reward the humble. Let us memorize these verses and make them a part of us. Number four, let's read good books on humility. The best that I've read is a book by C.J. Mahaney, which is simply entitled Humility, True Greatness. It's a little book, very readable. We might even have it in the church library. I have one in my own library if you'd like to borrow it. Or go online and buy it for a few dollars. But read books like this, which, which teach us how to cultivate this virtue. Number five, study the attributes of God. I believe Pastor Scott is leading a men's Bible study on this right now, where he's just going through all of the things that make God, God, and allowing everyone in the Bible study to just be in awe at God's grandeur. You know, when you see how grand God is, you don't think too highly of yourself anymore. You end up concluding like King David, who said, what is man that, that God would even be mindful of us? We are, we are so small compared to, to the glorious God. So study God and you'll be made humble. You could also ponder the wonders of God's creation. Last week, I discovered this new picture produced by the Hubble Space Telescope. You know, that telescope's on its way out. A bigger, better one is about to replace it. But Hubble is still giving us these incredible images. And the, the image showed thousands and thousands of galaxies, billions of light years from Earth. Some of them were closer, and you could make out more detail. Some of them were so far away, they were just specks. But to just see this one tiny little snapshot of our universe with all the galaxies... Pick out any place in the night sky, the size of the tip of a pencil. Just pick out that pitch dark spot in the sky. Hiding behind that little spot are countless galaxies, each with billions of stars, many of those stars with planets orbiting. It's incredible, the grandeur of creation. And then here we are on this little moat of dust called the Earth. And we think we have a reason to be proud. Let God's creation humble you. Number seven, every time that you are sick or sore or exhausted, let it remind you that you are not God. We need sleep because our bodies grow tired. God does not need sleep. Our bodies break down. God's does not. We get sick after a hard day's work. We just want to to plop down and rest. God isn't like this. So every single time you feel those aches in your body, instead of complaining about how achy you are, think instead, wow, this means I am not God. This is an opportunity to cultivate humility. Number eight, Find ways to draw attention to other people's accomplishments. 
This might be hard at first, especially if it doesn't come easy. I mean, you know, if, if it's not something you've, you've normally been doing. But just identify the accomplishments of other people and then publicly praise them for their accomplishments. Even if it's, if it's stuff that you wish you could have achieved and you just haven't, but they did it, go ahead, give them public applause. Number nine, celebrate the good fortune of others even if you don't feel like it. Someone has posted wonderful news on their social media feed, okay, they've got a date to the prom, or they've gotten engaged or married, or they've just had a child, they've just gotten a new promotion, they're sharing some kind of wonderful news, and your first reaction is jealousy. Like You wish that was you. Even if you feel that way, go ahead, give the Facebook post a thumbs up. Or give it a harder smiley. Celebrate the good fortune of others. You know, in time, this will make you humble. It'll also make you more likable. But you will find that if you will spend your time less preoccupied with yourself and trying to put on a good show for others, and you spend more of your time looking at all of the accomplishments of others and celebrating with them what they have done, you will have more joy than you had before, and you will become a more humble person. Number 10, pray for the people you are jealous of. Pray for them. Don't pray an imprecation, okay? Pray God's blessing on their lives. It's hard to remain angry at people when you've been praying for them. That'll teach you humility. And then number 11, let others praise you. Don't praise yourself. We find this in Proverbs 27, verses 1 and 2. The, the end of that passage says, Let another praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. So just do what you know God has called you to do. Okay? Whether that is in your, your career, your, your educational path, whether it's with your family, just whatever God has called you to do. You fulfill your calling, but then you leave it to others to recognize your achievements and enjoy their praise. You don't need to, to praise yourself in the presence of others. Friends, this is the pathway to, to humility. This is what we need to be cultivating in our own lives because, you see, pride is the original sin. It's the first on the list of sins that God hates. So let's root it out of our lives. Let's learn humility instead. As Christians, let's be worthy of the one whose name we bear. And let's pray together. Our Lord, your word teaches us a lot about pride and humility. And we learn um, just particularly useful pieces of wisdom from the book of Proverbs on this. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, not to spend our lives trying to make much of ourselves, but instead to spend life making much of you and to make much of the, the good work of others. And Lord, would you give us the joy that comes from mirroring the character of your Son and, and being humble people. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to be, to be patient as we wait for you to exalt the humble. Let's not in our impatience to, to seek that for ourselves in our time. 
Lord, I pray that Grace Baptist Church would be known as a church of, of wonderful, godly, humble people, people eager to serve, eager to make much of you, but not one that's seeking to make a name for itself. Lord, I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.